What is Maine? Who is Maine? What are the stories of those who have lived here from the beginning, that migrated here, and that continue to inhabit this unique place? Close observers, who through words and images, strive to capture the details in fiction, history, art, and song. These are conversations from the pointed firs, invoking the spirit of place with artists and authors from Maine. Welcome to Conversations from the Pointed Furs. I'm your host, Peter Neal. My guests today are Julia Lane and Fred Gosby, musicians and musicologists born in Maine who for many years have been researching their personal heritage by exploring the traditional music connections between the Celtic lands, the Canadian Maritimes, and Maine. Julia and Fred research archives and collections and interpret this music through the lens of their own Anglo-cultural legacy. Castle Bay, as their musical home, has released over two dozen recordings, and their new book, Bygones and Ballads of Maine, Songs of Ships and Sailors, contains many of their findings, including lyrics, tunes, and relevant lore. They are performers and friends. Julia and Fred, welcome to Conversations from the Pointed Furs. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's great to see you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, uh, you live up to your building. You've got the, the instruments are here. We've got the <laughs> plano shirt. We've got the tea going. It's yeah. wonderful. Thank oh, you. Yes. So let's start uh, with your own personal story. Where did you come from uh, and how did you get here? Well, um, my mother's family have been in Maine and my dad's, actually both, since the 1600s. And people have... have pretty much stayed, but then left as economic opportunity required. So, but in my personal family, we always came back here to New Harbor area, Bristol. My dad's family were uh, involved in the lumber woods in west of Waterville in Corinna. You may know of the town Exeter, Maine, and Lyford Pond. Well, my father was Cabot Lyford. But again, his family moved away, and they all ended up back here. I'm interested in that legacy and how it wove together and the songs that tell us a little bit of how people lived and what they did. Well, Julia, how did music enter your life? My mother was a wonderful singer, and uh, she actually was taking classical voice lessons. But we also had a lot of music in the home, a lot of recordings. It was always something that I felt drawn to, even as a small child. I was, you know, four or five years old. And I got interested in these these folk songs, these story songs, because they were stories. And they were like fascinating tales of, you know, uh, adventure and romance. And I learned to sing them when I was four or five years old, went into my kindergarten and, you know, sang all 10 verses of The Dark-Eyed Sailor, and <laughs> the teacher was a little surprised. And Fred? Well, my musical interest began before 1964. 1964 was when the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan. Mm -hmm. uh, so I missed that whole chapter. I was into the folk music that had been synonymous with pop music leading up to that. And he grew up in Harmony, Maine. Yeah, I grew up in Harmony, and my mother's family, who were lumbermen from New Brunswick, moved down in 1922, and uh, my grandfather was a singer and uh, played the harmonica. I swear he had a split tongue the way he played. He could 
who was playing rhythm and, and lead at the same time on one little marine band harmonica. I don't know how he did it. Then I, when I went to college, Sandy Ives was my advisor, and that kind of built a little bit of a fire under me that, in that way. Explain just a little bit more about Sandy Ives. Sandy Ives was the uh, professor. Uh, he was in the anthropology department, the f- folklore professor. Some institutions, they're in the English department, and some they're in the anthropology. And at Maine, it was anthropology. He started the Maine Folklife Center, which at one time was regarded as the foremost folklife center in the country. He really had a wonderful thing going there. You know, after I got out of college, we stayed in touch with Sandy until he died, actually. So how'd you two meet? In some sordid folk club somewhere? Or? <laughs> he adjusted my microphone stand. You know, our yeah, eyes yeah, locked, it. and yeah. that was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it worked. It, well, yeah, we just realized that we were both, you know, on the same path, really. Mm-hmm. And um, originally, Castle Bay was a quartet. And we've suffered some attrition. Well, it's a very small quartet now. It's much more more nimble as when a it, duo. Mm-hmm. So, and and talk just a little bit about that era too. You were traveling in Maine. You were performing in Maine. It was the it was the time of of the little folk clubs and the coffee houses and all the rest. Yeah, and, and actually, when we were a quartet, we made a couple sojourns down to Maryland. So, yeah, we got it. And I, we but got getting out. four people around yeah. in a van with all of our stuff, is it's yeah. really tricky, and um, it just didn't make sense after a while. So um, we, we were four for the first couple of years, and then we were three for a couple more years. And uh, Yeah, and trying to have a family. We all had kids. It was just a matter of, you know, energy, really, of, you know, summoning the energy after a full week of work to go out and do concerts right. and drive, drive, drive. Right. Well, now you have this book, uh, ships, yes. ships and Sailors, Songs yes. of Ships and Sailors. That did well. Um, but you've gone beyond that, in a way, with this new research in earlier music. I well, think. one thing leads to another, and, and um, I actually came a came at it from the early music because because I was so interested in the roots of this stuff, um, the stories, the ballads, the, the mythology, the, even the spirituality that comes through in these songs that have been passed down through hundreds of years. So I used to do a lot of early music and, um, and research. Um, and then we were doing a lot of Scottish, Irish, Celtic music, which is related, uh, and realized that this music, these songs, appear in the collections that were made in New England. Now, you hear a lot about the, the Appalachian collections and, you know, the song catchers going through the woods. And But we had, and it's, it's funny you would mention Fanny Ekstorm, because Fanny Ekstorm was one of the principal collectors of folk songs in Maine. And she really was the gateway to, to finding the others. Um, because they all knew each other, and and um, she had she published a book with uh, Mary Smythe under the auspices of Phillips Berry. Well, they did they did Minstrelsy of Maine first. Yeah, Minstrelsy of Maine. She she teamed up with Mary Smythe, who was from the Mount Desert area, and uh, had been collecting songs in along the coast. Fanny's songs were mostly collected from woodsmen. She lived in Bangor. Um, she also knew a, a woman local to Orland named Susie Carr Young, who had co- she had an incredible collection from her family. 
So Fanny, early in her career, was, was you know, delving into this music and these songs. They published Minstrelsy of Maine, which unfortunately has no tunes. It's all lyrics. And they're songs of, sail- of sailors, fishermen, and woodsmen that are based on old um, Celtic songs. Maybe we should give our listeners a, an example of this discovery okay. uh, period. We'll come back and talk about it at some length. Um, let's have a listen and then we'll we'll have a reference point. Sounds good. That's a perfect segue. This this song was collected from Susie Carr Young. We're going to do two songs for you actually. This one was from Susie Carr Young. We always like to look for clues about where the song came from. And as we sort of traveled back in time with this, we realized the original of this song was was a broadside, which is a a, a music uh, a poster that they would put on the tavern wall uh, around 1630. And at the time, there were a lot of explorers coming to North America, and they would, they would try to entice them with, um, with these broadsides or with you know, stories of how great it was to be a sailor, to travel and explore. And so this song uh, is, a, is her version, I mean, it's 300 years later, of what's called the Sailor's Kamalgi. And one thing you might notice in it is the fact that it says you should never be a farmer. You should you should always you know girls go with the sailors because they're the they're the strong you know handsome rich guys. So here's the sailors Kamali from Susie Carr Young, collected by Fanny Ekstorm. <laughs> Oh, come all ye pretty fair maids, if you didn't but know All the dangers and the hardships that sailors undergo You would have better regard for them than e'er you had before And hate the lazy landsman who's always on the shore they are always with the pretty girls and telling them fine tales concerning all the hard day's work they've done in their cornfields. It's pulling on the weeds and grass, it's all that they do know. While we, like jovial seamen boys, go plow the ocean through. And when the sun it does go down the side, they'll throw the plow, saying, Our day's work is ended, boys, it's homeward we'll go now. And when the night gets as dark as pitch, into their bed they'll crawl, while we, like jovial seamen boys, stand many a bitter squall. At eight o'clock, Captain, he commands us all, all there from down below. 
All there from down below, my boys, prepare a ship to God. Aloft, aloft, ye lively lads, and down to the council yard. O'er the seas they run, mountains high, and toss us up and down. In the midst of all these dangers, boys, we feared our ship will drown. But don't let that discourage us, boys. We'll see the girls again. For the might of all America will cross the raging main. Oh, we'll sail to all parts of the world that's never seen before. And we'll bring back gold and silver, boys. That's when we do return. We'll make this country flourish, boys, like it never did and when our money's spent and gone, we'll plow the seas for more. You know, I'm all welled up here because we try to glean qualities out of these conversations. And here we have it. If you are just joining us, this is Conversations from the Pointed Furs. I'm your host, Peter Neal, and my guests today are Julia Lane and Fred Gosby, discussing the origins of storytelling and song that are an essential part of the spirit of Maine. Conversations from the Pointed Furs broadcast live the first Friday of every month here on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM, streaming and archived at WERU.org and available as podcast at pointedfurs.org. Simplicity. Melody. I mean, two fundamental things that are in some ways antithetical to what we hear when we step outside the door. That simplicity and that reliance and confidence in a single melodic line is a really powerful, powerful thing. It is so true, and and it is something that we have really come to understand as we've been listening to these songs, which were largely a cappella. The the main tradition is not instrumental, and you hear a lot of fiddling, and you hear a lot of you know uh, the the dance music now. But years ago, a, a, a good fiddler was considered to be somebody who could keep the beat so people could dance. It wasn't about the tunes. In, in, these, in these, re, these recordings, there are several thousand recordings. And they did record fiddlers. But I only have maybe 25 recordings of fiddlers out of all of these thousands. And the people were, would sing um, with the most heartfelt and emotional style that just um, it engages you and it, it tells the story in a way that somebody who's just you know twanging on a guitar or a fiddle doesn't tell the whole story as we're trying to trying to learn to, to keep the instruments out of the way their and support system right right I want to do this song that um, was made right here in Orland by a man named Amos Hansen and because the, this song that Amos made, Amos was a fisherman. He would go out to the Grand Banks. He was a captain, fishing captain. Made quite a lot, number of songs, apparently, but they haven't survived. We only have about four or five songs 
Sandy Ives did a, a wonderful research paper about Amos Hansen. Um, there are probably his descendants here in town. Uh, it turns out that these songs didn't survive because they were making fun of or insulting their, his neighbors. <laughs> so these were vernacular songs. But this one is, is really interesting to us because if you listen to it, he's, Fred's only going to do a couple of verses. But you'll hear the direct, it's the same story as the Sailor's Kamali. It's the men going off to the Grand Banks, and they're, they're saying, hey, girls, you know, don't get messed up with those farm boys while we're gone. You know, we're going to come back with all of, the, all of the riches and the good stuff. So Fred's just going to do a little bit of um, the, uh, the schooner Fred Dunbar, also called You Darling Girls of Bagadoose. You darling girls of Bagadoose who live along the shore You do not know or understand what sailors do endure For if you did, you would treat them with more respect than before You never would go with a landloper when sailors are on shore Now those Penobscot cowboys will tell you girls fine tales of the hardships they endure while out on their cornfields. They feed their chickens and punch their pigs and make their mothers roar. While we, like jovial-hearted boys, go to the Bay Shalore. So, and on and on. And on, and on. But you can hear that it's the same story, <laughs> which goes back to 1630. Uh, so we thought that was really fun. Are there to find other them. archetype stories that you that you can recognize? Well, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that same song in praise of sailors from 1630 has a section in it about the mermaid with a comb and a glass in her hand, which is it's that popular Irish song, the mermaid and and Yahoo, we're all going to drown, which I think is really interesting because it's it's really a tragic song, but it's sung with great gusto while everyone drinks beer. Um, another one, another motif is the the sailor who goes away uh, promising to return in seven long years and he breaks a token. He takes a, a, either a coin or a gold ring and breaks it in half, gives it to the girl and comes back. And there are any number of sailor returning songs. And, the, and she never recognizes him. Right. Well, after well, seven years. Well, unless his pockets are full of gold and then she does. Yeah, right. <laughs> So there's there's that there's a lot of those and in this book there are a lot of shipwreck songs and you know there were stock verses that that people would trade back and but forth. But the wreck songs have actual historical um, yeah. provenance. I mean they they are made about actual wrecks. So um, let's see which one could we do. Well, while you're looking, these are homegrown. Do they sprout out of the? Of the yes, and yes. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. The turf um, of Maine, or are they brought over by, by immigrants? Well, yes, yes and yes. Yes to both. And yeah. yes, and so what would happen is uh, a person would have knowledge of a song from their homeland, which, you know, if you're, you're, you're traveling light, you're bringing, you know, your satchel and a pair of shoes and, and your songs and stories. And as time would go on, there might be a local story that was very similar. They would interject local place names, local uh, heroes, if you will, and then uh, you know might change it as they pass it to the next generation. It's it's a very cumulative and and um, 
fluid kind of tradition. They rarely would try to sing the song that their grandfather sang. And even though uh, in the, re the uh, collectors would say, oh, well, Mr. Mr. Finnemore, where did you learn that? I learned it from my father. And that's, and then, you know, there was nothing else explaining where they got the song. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes they would hear it and change it. Sometimes they wouldn't quite remember it. There's one account uh, of a fellow down in York that, where did you learn that song, Mr. Jeunesse? I heard two men sing it as they were rowing past. And that was the, um, the battleship, the Maine. It was a song about the battleship, the Maine. And uh, he recorded the song, and I compared it with the sheet music that was written at the time, and it's almost identical. But we know this man couldn't read. And, so, and he, he would have been... He would have been... 10, 12 years old when he heard it. Mm. He said he heard it once. So they have, there was this penchant for being able to hear and, and reproduce well, don't the you love it? I heard it from, from singers passing by. Yes. You know, I heard it when my father was preoccupied and working in the field or milking the cow. I mean, the whole idea of music as this kind of baggage that you keep with you at all times. It's always with you. Yes, and yeah. I wouldn't say baggage. It's more well, um, clothing or, uh, you know, because it doesn't weigh you down. Here's, here's an example. So, I mean, I, I learned these songs when I was small. Yesterday, we were over at my, my daughter's house for dinner, and my six-year-old granddaughter went into the, into the bathroom and I hear her singing the Rattlin' Bog while she's doing what she needed to do in the back. There it is. There it is. Right. Intergenerational transfer. Yes, or in the back seat of, you know, in the car seat, we're hearing her sing some, you know, some sea ballad or something. It's, mm -hmm. She just hears us and sings it. It's hilarious. So you were going to do the, the Banks of Newfoundland, I think. Yeah, the shipwreck song. The shipwreck song. Do we have actual um, evidence of this actual shipwreck, Fred? No, I don't think so. I don't so. think we do it for this one, but but it is an account of of um, how how it was to be shipwrecked on the banks of Newfoundland. The only other places we have found this particular song are in Newfoundland and in Northern Ireland. It's for some reason it has triangulated, and it was it was sung here in uh, West Goldsboro by Annie Marston, and uh, Mabel Worcester sang it in Hanover, Maine. Um, and it's interesting because these are women singing these songs. They probably heard their fathers, maybe, or their uncles sing them. Haven't done it in a while. You may all bless your happy luck. Why don't you sing it without the guitar? All right. That way you're not distracted. That's the other thing is these singers were not using instruments. And the instruments can sometimes be distracting. So Fred's just going to sing it a cappella. You may all bless your happy lot Who safely dwell on shore You do not know what howling winds Around poor seamen roar you do not know the hardships great that we were forced to stand for fourteen days and fourteen nights on the banks of Newfoundland. 
Our ship had never sailed before that stormy western sea. She was well rigged and fitted out before she left the key. Though built of strong and seasoned wood, she little could withstand the hurricane that met us on the banks of Newfoundland. That tempest roared from sunset to the cold and wintry morn. We fell away to leeward, for two of our masts were gone. The captain says, my brave boys, we must some invention plan to hoist a signal of distress on the banks of Newfoundland. By the morning of the thirteenth day, our provisions had run out. On the morning of the fourteenth day, the lots were cast about. The lot fell on the captain's son, but hoping relief at hand, we spared him for another day on the banks of Newfoundland. On the morning of the fifteenth day, we told him to prepare. We gave to him another hour to offer up a prayer. Then providence proved kind to us, kept blood from every hand when an English vessel hove in view on the banks of Newfoundland. For when they took us from that wreck, we were more like ghosts than men. They fed us and they clothed us and they brought us home again. But five of our brave sailor lads ne'er saw their native land. And the captain lost both feet by frost on the banks of Newfoundland. Of all our gallant company that made our good ship's crew, there's only five to tell the tale of passengers but two. Long may their friends and family wait on their dear native strand, but the mountainous waves roll o'er their graves on the banks of Newfoundland. You know, it's it's quiet music, but the, what was just described is is chaotic, and I guess the quietude would be part of memory and gratitude for survival. Well, it's an intensity also, um, and when you think about the setting that these songs were done in, it was dark. It was usually, you know, after dinner um, with a group of people gathered around. The only light might be the fire. Um, you may have had a meal or not, and, you know, this was feeding your imagination and your soul as much as, as anything. Um, he spoke the last line which is a typically um, Irish-Scottish tradition. The, the Shanachie, or storyteller, in that tradition would, 
would spin the tail in the darkness. They didn't gesticulate. They didn't. It was very, very contained. A peat fire doesn't give off a lot of light. Right, and there wasn't a lot of jumping around. It was all about the words. It was about the intensity of the, the singer, storyteller's voice who was spinning the tail. And um, at the end of, the, of this, they would speak that last line. And we asked a friend of ours uh, who took it. Well, we were taken to a, 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 an event uh, at a, a storyteller's, Ashanaki's home in Scotland, Duncan Williamson. And he spoke the last line. And so I said, so, you know, tell me why you do this. He says, oh, it breaks the spell. Mm-hmm. So as you're singing, this, the melody and the music and the, the imagery spins around you, but when you stop and speak that last line, it cuts the thread. Mm-hmm. So they and, and several of the traditional singers that we've been listening to do that frequently, not always, and I think it depends on the song. You know, the, mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're doing what at the time would have been a popular song, they wouldn't do that. The other thing is that there's very few chorus songs. Yeah. Now, you, you made mention of sea shanties. These are not sea shanties. These are ballads. They're songs of the sea. Shanties are work songs, and they have choruses so that the workers can pull together and work together. They're often improvisational because you never knew how long the job was going to last. When you're hauling a, a mainsail, it might last three verses, it might last five, but you can't spin a tail within the context of that because you never know when you're going to stop. So they're very different than the actual work songs, shanties. And um, these, these tales could be embellished. Um, there's a song called The Flying Cloud that has probably 25 to 30 verses and will have chapters in it. And this high, it just goes back to that bardic tradition where the shanaki or the bard would do segments of the song throughout maybe several days. And you have, again, the song like the one we spoke of before that had this segment about the mermaid that could be extracted as a discrete song from the larger body. In fact, there are like five verses I didn't sing to the Banks of Newfoundland. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk now more specifically about this trove that you discovered. This was stuff that was collected by people like Fanny Ekstrom. Yes. But then also collected into a place a folk life center, not in Maine. In this case, I think it's Vermont. Well, actually, several different places. Different places. Yes. And you've been there and found these things, and have they been languishing there as just yes, wax cylinders have. in a drawer? Not exactly. Not so, exactly. But they have been languishing. So so they, Fanny did not record. She, she wrote down lyrics, and then um, her book, Minstrelsy of Maine, with, with Mary Smythe, her friend, got the interest of a Harvard pr- professor named um, Phillips Barry. And Barry was a folklorist and uh, uh, actually a theology professor in, at, at um, Harvard who became fascinated with this. And, and he engaged a man named George Herzog to come and actually record some of the people. So Fanny and, and Mary's book was published in 1929, but Phillips Barry's name is at the top. Mm. Because well, a woman couldn't get published in those right, days. Right, you're talking about British ballads from Maine. From yes. 
menstruacy of Maine was recorded, and I told you we wouldn't argue, but I do need to codify this. Uh, he sometimes uh, Well, the ahead. thing is that there is, there is music in, in British ballads from Maine. The one that Phillips Berry published yeah. has music in it because they recorded it and it was transcribed. So, so let's talk about the languishing part, though. Right, yes. It's, it's uh, you know, you, you open a drawer, and here are all these cylinders, and do you even have a machine you can play them <laughs> on? What so, they did, what they did is they, there are, and I, I was reading it just two days ago, so mm -hmm. I have the number. Okay, you're good. 4,800 recordings that um, Helen Hardness Flanders and her cronies collected was all over in Vermont and on a variety of media. They sent the whole shooting match to the Library of Congress in the 60s, and it was transferred on a cassette. Subsequently, it's <laughs> Remember moved. trying to find something on a cassette? It was practically yeah. impossible. With an index. So instead of all these discrete labeled three-minute things, you have these 45-minute things with an index. Errors were introduced in the index. Sometimes the docents would forget to turn the record over, so there'll be no, no side B where it says there is, stuff like that. So there's a little bit of frustration dealing with that, but that's how we've accessed it, is, is through the library. So you heard it first on cassettes? No. No? So, so initially, just backing up a little bit, Helen Hartness Flanders was tasked by the government of Vermont to go out and collect songs from the country folk. She quickly realized that these songs were not necessarily uh, Vermont songs because a lot of the lumbermen in Vermont came from Maine. So she got in touch with Fanny Ekstorm and they collaborated uh, collecting songs together. They would publish them actually in the Bangor Daily News. Helen just really got excited about all of this and was traveling to Massachusetts and New Hampshire and even, Maine and Vermont. Even eastern New York. Yeah, in a rickety old car. Uh, and she and her friend Marguerite Olney would record people on various media. It started out as wax cylinders, then it was aluminum discs and acetate discs. And as things changed, but this was all before um, acetate tape. Mm -hmm. This was pre-World War II. So those things uh, were, were held by Middlebury College, and uh, they decided to, to contribute them to the Library of Congress, who put them onto cassettes to make them allegedly more accessible. So throughout time, they have been digitized, but you used to have to go to the Library of Congress and wear the white gloves and, and you know, sign in and everything to listen to you know, any of these. They had them in Vermont, too, and we went over there a couple of times. But right. after, a, after we started the project, thankfully, they put the whole shooting match up on archive.org, so anybody can access it now. But the index is But the index is, yeah. Mm. Well, I'm going to sing for you uh, something, and, and I, I'm still getting used to this style, but um, it's as we were transcribing this stuff, it's almost impossible to transcribe because the notes are there in between and they, the ornaments do really interesting things that, that you really can't write down. So I'm going to sing you two verses of a, a song called The Ship's Crew of Sailors. And I'm trying to remember who sang this. I'll just sing it while it's on my mind. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
It's a ship's crew of sailors, the story you'll hear. From Greenland down to Liverpool, a ship they did steer. There was one amongst them that I wished I never knew. He was a jolly, jolly sailor in his jacket of blue. The first time that I saw him, he'd a spyglass in his hand. I tried to talk to him, but with me he would not stand. I tried to talk to him, but away from me he flew. Oh, my heart, it went with him in his jacket of blue. So if you were to sing that straight in, in your normal style, right, yeah. what would be the difference? What I'm trying to get to yeah. is what are, the, what are the characteristics of this particular singing style that makes it different, makes it unique. So it would be more like, it's a ship's crew of sailors, a story I'll tell. From ground, da 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 Square, it seems like it's more in the throat and not so much in the nose. Exactly. This is Conversations from the Pointed Furs, a monthly interview program with artists and artists who invoke the spirit of Maine. Broadcast live the first Friday of every month here on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM, streaming and archived at WERU.org and available as podcast at pointedfurs.org. I'm speaking today with musicians Julie Lane and Fred Gosby, and we are exploring the early music of Maine, our cultural heritage through story and song. For further information about their CDs, books, and performance schedule, go to their website at castlebay.net. What she just did is what's in the book, because you can't write that stuff down, and we've tried to make the <coughs> melodies readable. Well, the other thing singers. is that an individual singer is going to ornament it differently. and and sing it differently. And that is that's another thing that's a myth is that people would just copy each other. They didn't. We will hear three singers sing the same song, and they're all different. We actually there's one song. They collected it two different times from the same singer. It's a unique song. He's the only one that it's well, that's another story, but it's a unique <laughs> song. And he used a totally different melody the second time. There's one version. And then it's not, it's like a 20-verse song, so it's not, not, wasn't a throwaway. But then there's the woman who changes melodies four times in the course of the song. Mm -hmm. and, and they just sort of, they're, they're not worried about the music so much as they are about telling the story. But did the style come out of some particular <clears throat> geographical place? Yes, it it's, it's very, very much an Irish style. Mm -hmm. And there's this style called Sean Nos. Which, um, it's interesting. I mean, if you listen to Dolly Parton, she, she sings like a Sean No singer. She just, she's doing pretty much the same ornaments, but she puts them in different places. Yeah, it's a, it's a, 
Um, I don't know if this is related to the Baroque era, where there was a lot of ornamentation and improvisation uh, during the Baroque period. You'd have a, a person who would take their, their solo and they would, you know, embellish it. I don't really know anything about musical theory, but it, it, could it be something as similar to sing, singing the same melody, same words, but in a, a minor versus a major key or something? That's been done, yes. Uh, and but, but the thing about that... And this goes back to the, the, I mean, it actually goes back to India, um, where there are ragas, which are specific to different times of day, different emotional content. They're connected with your chakras, and they activate the different glands in your body. Right. You have the adrenal gland and the pituitary. And these ragas are very strictly connected with these things. So there is thought that that the Indians actually traveled through Europe and ended up in Ireland. Hmm. And you look at the the ornamentation, the you know the artwork. Some of the mythology is very similar. And there's this theory of music as uh, psychological manifestations, you know, to manipulate your audience, if you will. The bards, the Shanakis had to study for 19 years to become a, f- a fully-fledged official bard, and they had to understand the differences in these kinds of music. Mm-hmm. So you'd have the swantri, which was the sleeping music, the gantri was the dance music, and the goltri was the lament. So you hear these different different things that are specifically to create a different story, mm-hmm. if you will, to underscore the storyline. And a minor versus major can make that difference. Mm-hmm. So you probably wouldn't. Um, uh, there's a lot of modal uh, things that go into different modes than most people are used to hearing, and that's characteristic of Celtic music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it was it was very conscious. Is it still alive? People, oh, yeah. people still appreciate it. Well, I think they do, in spite of themselves. They don't quite know what it is. So here's another song I'll sing for you. And I learned, first learned this from Sarah Makem, who was um, Tommy Makem's mother. And she was recorded, I only heard a recording, I didn't hear her. She was recorded in 1952 singing this song. And then in my research, I found a main version of this song that's older. And the story is heartrending. And it turns out that Fred's great-grandmother actually had this experience. So it's, it's like bringing this full circle to an actual event. The song is probably not about her, but it was common enough that it made it into the repertoire. T'was on a winter's morning, the frost came down like snow over fields and lofty mountains where the wintry winds do blow twas there i spied a female form all in a drift of snow with her infant baby in her arms she knew not where to go Oh, hush, my darling baby, I'll fold you to my breast. It's little does your father know this night, you're in distress. 
distress. It little does your father know what we do undergo. Or he would fold us in his arms all from the frost and snow. It's cruel was my father who locked the door on me. And it's cruel was my mother that bitter crime to see. And it's cruel was the cold wind's revenge that pierced my heart with cold. And it's cruel was that young man who sold his heart for gold. So you hear that blue note in there. Um, and the, the Irish version is actually even more modal, but it creates that emotional sort of, you know, little jab that, mm -hmm. that um, expresses, you know, the mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that's so fascinating about this, and I know that you're interested in how does this reflect the main character. And there are two things. Um, I think the nature of these songs are, are very connected to our social history, to our morality and our uh, philosophy of life, if you will. A lot of them are very much uh, songs of resilience and uh, you know, overcoming adversity and carrying on. And when you think about here, especially on the coast, women whose husbands brothers, fathers, sons may go off on, on board ship and never return. And the women are holding down the forts. They're dealing with the farms and the children. And they're very, very strong women. A lot of these songs reflect that. There's also being on the edge of things as we are on the coast here. People could take ship and go somewhere else. You could go to China and meet your friends in Rangoon. You could go to, in the winter, the dark, cold winter, you could go off to Venezuela on your husband's schooner and come home with a box of strawberries. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a very different viewpoint, worldview, if you will, than someone that is living in the center of the country. So living on the edge. Right. It's um, sort of an existential place to be. It's different. In, in our town in Round Pond, in the late 19th century, 80% of the people had been around the world. And they had this sense of something out there. Yes, you're on the edge, but you're also connected with something else out there in a way that perhaps somebody in you know, the center of the country is not. That was the genius of the Vikings. They realized that the ocean was not a barrier. It was... A highway. Right. Yeah. Right. So there is the path that, of connection. Yeah. And I mean, even inland in Skowhegan, if you will, yes, you're isolated, but you have the river. Mm -hmm. And the, the uh, sailors often would go into the woods in the winter and work in the woods, drive the logs down, get on board a ship and head to wherever. So there was this fluidity of population, which we still have interestingly. Mm -hmm. And it makes uh, Maine this, this wonderful conduit for ideas and, and resourcefulness and inventiveness that I think makes it unique. When people were coming from Ireland, it was a whole lot cheaper for them to come into Canada mm. than it was to come here. So if 
a lot of immigrants would go to the maritime provinces and then walk to Boston. Mm -hmm. Well, some of them got tired and stopped in Maine because mm -hmm. it's a long way to Boston. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason why there's such a large proportion of Irish songs in the traditional repertoire. Could we have another song? We shall. What do you think, Fred? Julia has found 13 different versions to the Gypsy Rover, mm. and they have different endings. Mm. And That's interesting. Yeah, it? it's very interesting. Yeah. And it was very, most of those versions were collected from women. Mm. And there are eight or nine versions of the Lassa Mohia, mm -hmm. which have different endings. The Gypsy Rover fascinates me because for every walkabout, there's a different ending. Every time when you go on walkabout, the ending you, you don't know. Mm -hmm. And typically or predictably, it's not the same at what you anticipate, and it's different, which is the whole purpose of going on walkabout. <laughs> well, you know, um, that song really, it's, it, it was probably one of the most popular songs ever in this, in this genre. Mm -hmm. It is based on an historic event uh, from the early 1600s, which did not have a nice ending. It was the uh, young woman who was courted by a person that her father did not approve of. She was married off to the local laird, and her boyfriend came in and sang beneath her window, and they went off together. They were pursued, and there was not a happy ending to this. But that song has been passed down from 1610, whatever, and has acquired a number of different endings. We used to listen to the oldies on Friday, mm -hmm. and a version of, of the Gypsy Rover was popular about every 20 years. Mm -hmm. The last one was Arlo Guthrie's version. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I bet the essence of the Gypsy Rover story is in every culture in the world. Well, it is. Um, but what's interesting to me is looking at some of the different endings. So you have, you know, Gypsy and Girl go off, okay? They're pursued. The husband disposes of the gypsy, takes the girl home, puts her in the tower for the rest of her life. That's the historic version. So then there's a, actually a main version where the husband pursues and shoots them both and goes home and marries the, the maid to take care of the baby. And then, and, you know, he wheeled his horse into the left and shot the davy. He wheeled his horse into the right, and there he shot his lady. So then there's the one where she, they, are, they go along and he says, so how do you like this, the sleeping in the fields? Wouldn't you rather be home with me? She says, no way. I don't, you know, bugger off. And he says, oh, okay, and goes home and leaves her to go off with the gypsy rover. Then there's the one where she tears off her clothes and wraps them around her head and runs into the woods and what this this one, I think that the function of this one is that, well, she's crazy anyway, so, you know, he doesn't want her. Mm -hmm. She says, I'll, I'll drink of the dew and eat of the grass and follow the dip, gypsy davy. So there are all these different, different uh, solutions to this dilemma of the girl running away that are fascinating. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but you want us to sing something. I, I mean, golly, I'm thinking of something that people sing with that brings people together. I'm thinking of the blackbird. Yeah. Yes, so here's another. Um, the young lovers are, are split apart by the parents. This, this song comes from Northern Ireland. Um, it actually has a, a parallel story in our local history, but again, it's not, it's not about that, but it's 
the same story. So the, this couple were in love. The father says, I don't like this guy. And he sends the girl to North America. And, uh, you know, that's thinking that will break them up. Well, the, the young fellow is resourceful, follows her here, sings beneath her window, and um, the rest is history. They're still in, in the town. The family is still, this was 1750, and they're still here. Uh, it's called If I Were a Blackbird. If I were a blackbird, I'd whistle and sing. I'd follow the vessel my true love sails in. I'd light on the topmast and there build my nest and sing a sweet song to the one I love best. And it's one that audiences just love to sing because it's romantic. All right, here we go. If I were a blackbird, I'd whistle and sing. I'd fly to the vessel my true love sails in. I'd light on the top and there build my nest and sing a sweet song to the one I love best. I am a young sailor and my story is sad. I once was a carefree and a brave sailor lad. I courted a lassie by night and by day. But now she has left me and sailed far away. And if I were a blackbird, I'd whistle and sing. I'd fly to the vessel my true love sails in. I'd light on the topmast and there build my nest and sing a sweet song. To the one I best. I promised I'd take her to the Donnybrook Fair and buy her fine ribbons to tie up her hair. I promised I'd bury and stay by her side. But she said in the morning she sailed with the tide. And if I were a blackbird, I'd whistle and sing. I'd fly to the vessel, my true love sails in. I'd light on the topmast and build my nest and sing a sweet song to the one I love best. Now if I were a writer, and could handle the pen One long loving letter To my true love I'd send I'd tell of my sorrow My grief and my pain Since she has left me And sailed over to Maine And if I were a blackbird I'd whistle and sing I'd fly to the vessel my true love sails in. I'd light on the topmast and there build my nest and sing a sweet song to the one I love best. Her parents, they chide me, they do not agree. Say me and my true love 
Mary never shall be Well, let them deprive me Let them do what they will While there's breath in my body She's my true love still And if I were black My true love sails in, I light on the top mast, and there fills my nest, and sing a sweet song to the one I love best. Yes, I'd sing a sweet song to the one I love best. How long have you two been together? Uh, uh, 1986? 86, 85. Castle Bay was founded in 1986, so. Yeah, it was about that time. Yeah. <laughs> this has been delightful. Thank you. I've thank really you enjoyed it. And, and I would like to thank Paul Sullivan for uh, suggesting uh, us to you. He is an old friend, and well, I just, well. I'm grateful for his. Uh, his recommendation, if you will. Well, he and I are scheduled for a, a, an interview in due course. Wonderful. Yeah. That's good, Which yes. will be hilarious. I'm sure. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Fred. Thank you for having us. Most welcome. I enjoyed it thoroughly. My guest today has been musicians Julie Lane and Fred Gosby. My guest next time will be Tommy Carbone, author and publisher, to discuss his book, Exploring the Maine Woods, based on the writings of Fanny Hardy Ekstrom, who in the late 1800s described her unique expeditions into the landscape of mountains, rivers, and lakes of down east Maine. I'm your host, Peter Neal. Thanks for listening. <laughs>